0: We, we had uh, a great men's retreat this last Friday night through uh, about 6 o'clock last night, and um, we had a, a tremendous group. We combined a group of our men with a group of men from Steentown Church down in Scranton, had a, had a great time of uh, encouragement and learning and growing together, and uh, Thad Bergmeier uh, from ABWE, that is the executive director of their Every Ethne program, which for you would be ABWE North America. But the Every Ethne is where they're headed, uh, all nations, and discipling there. And uh, Thad has been a pastor uh, for 18 years in a couple different locations. And then uh, with ABWE as their executive director the last seven years, and we had a we had an amazing learning time, right, man? Those of you who are there, and uh, yeah, excuse me, uh, is that a- Amen or or uh, well? Um, anyway, we're we're glad to have Thad here and uh, excited about the Word of God as he shares it with us this morning. So, Thad, time is yours. All right. Thank you.
1: thanks, Glenn. Uh, it's a joy to be here with you guys, and uh, I got to tell you, I love your pastors, and the times I've been able to get to know Glenn and Scott, and uh, now Mitch, just kind of getting to know you a little bit um, as well. And uh, <clears throat> So I've known about your church for a long time, first time I've ever been here, even though I did some schooling across the road over there, so it's uh, it's a joy to be with you here today. Grab your Bibles, Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, if you will. Um, this morning, I want to talk about one of the most important experiences in the life of the Christian. It's simple. It's easy. Glenn asked, do you want some PowerPoint and stuff? I go, no, I think they can get it. All right? Here it is. Here's our big idea. Ready? Jesus changes people. Amen? Amen. Say it with me. Jesus changes people. I hope you believe that. I hope like real deep down in your soul, you believe deeply that Jesus changes people. Now we see it all throughout the gospels. We see uh, stories of how, what of what God is doing through Christ in people's lives. But this one account in Mark chapter five has always kind of stood out to me. And uh uh, um, impacted me as we see Jesus interacting with a man that's in a very desperate situation. Mark chapter 5, look at verse 1. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he, he retched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Stop there for a second. So let me catch you up in the context of what's happening here. Jesus and his disciples are are getting some time away from the crowds. And so they hop on the boat and they're heading down to the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee. They want some rest. Jesus wants some rest. And so they get in the boat and out of sheer exhaustion, Jesus falls asleep. Now these expert fishermen (laughs) who uh, are used to being on the Sea of Galilee run into a major storm they're terrified. And so they wake Jesus up, they they wake tired Jesus up and ask him to save them. Jesus, you know what happens there at the end of Mark chapter four, Jesus awakes and rebukes the wind and the waves and they stop. And so even in the context, as we come to Mark chapter five, we see a really important aspect of who Jesus is. And so if you're taking notes and you want to kind of three main points here this morning, here's the the first one, is that Jesus is always available for those in need. Jesus is always available for those in need. So even when Jesus is getting in the boat to take a nap in order to get some rest away from the crowds, he is available. This then launches us into chapter five, where Jesus steps onto the shore and he meets a man in great need. Now, Mark and Luke tell us the story of this one man. Matthew tells us there's actually two men, but this one that Mark focuses in on, he is a, he's an outcast. Some people might call him a vagabond. Luke says that he is naked. Notice the other descriptions that we learn here in these first few verses. We're told that he lives among the tombs. The people tried to bind him up, and but he was too powerful. We're told that he is always crying out, that he's constantly cutting himself with rocks. Soon we're going to learn that he is possessed by the unclean spirits, multiple spirits. And so I want you to kind of just picture this scenario, if you will. Jesus is trying to get some alone time, to get some rest. And the first thing that happens is that he gets out of the boat, and a naked, multiple demon-possessed man comes running towards him. I have no idea how the chosen is going to do that, right? (laughs) In Matthew's account, we're told that he is so fierce that no one could pass by him. It's probably why they tried, the town people probably tried to... uh, um, shackle him up to bind him up. He is a menace to their society. He probably controls, some commentators believe, the main path that went from the, the village town there down to the Sea of Galilee. No doubt that people were scared of him um, in their community. And I have no doubt that the stories were rampant. In some ways, when I read this text, I kind of get in my mind this, um, this real-life version of Sandlot. Do you remember Sandlot? Remember the beast on the other side of the fence? And I think about this man. I can't help but imagine parents are like telling their kids, like, listen, I know you want to go down to the swimming hole, but you can't take the path because crazy Joe lives there. Now, apologize if your name's Joe this morning. Like, no offense taken, I hope. And we can joke about it, but in reality, this man is in a very desperate situation. He's possessed by a demon who is controlling his life. People hate him. He is an outcast. If there's ever anyone in need, it's a man like this. And Jesus steps onto shore to make himself available to him. How about you? Isn't there... um, None of us are exactly like this man. That any are possessed by legions of demons. Thankfully, none of you showed up naked here today. You probably don't live among the tombs. But even when you read the desperation of this man, isn't there something in there that says, man, I can relate at some level to the desperation that we face in life. Maybe there was, or maybe there is something inside of us, some some need deep inside of us that maybe we found ourselves at a moment of desperation. Maybe it's something that we have done. Maybe it's something that someone has done to us and we feel stuck. We feel like we can't move. We feel like we're in bondage. Maybe your desperation is found in a a sin habit that you just simply can't break. Maybe your desperation is the reality that you uh, are in a marriage that 's left you empty, maybe there is the realization that the promises that the world has given to you has not satisfied you like you thought that it would maybe um, Maybe there's an unsettledness that the more you try and be spiritual, the more things you try and do, you realize it's just not enough. Maybe there's a loneliness that you've experienced right now in your life that you never thought you would experience. We We all face moments or have faced moments of desperation in our life, and I don't know what your specific desperation moment is, but I can tell you this, is that when you realize what it is, the one thing that you should do is to follow the example of this man and run to Jesus and bow before him. Verse six, this is what he does. It says, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, the son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to the man, come out, or he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Stop there. One textual thing to note here is that when the man actually Um, Gets before Jesus and begins they begin having this conversation with each other. We have no reason to think that it's anyone other than the demons that are speaking on behalf of the man. This point, the questions that are being asked are from the demons, not necessarily from the man. Now, there's a lot that we can learn here about how demon the demonic world thinks about who Jesus is. We don't have time to go into all of it. I'll leave that to Pastor Glenn to talk about at some point. Right? Amen. Amen. There's a few obvious things, though, that we could talk about. These demons obviously address him as son of the most high God. They they know that they have nothing to do with Jesus, right? They even know the final outcome. In fact, the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 8, the demon is recorded, the demons actually said, have you come here to torment us before the time? Like, they know the score. They know what's going to happen, they know the results of the game. They know they're the Cowboys, right? <laughs> Amen? Today? <Yeah. laughs> but there's something else that we, <laughs> that the demons know that we often forget. They know the authority that Jesus possesses. Don't they? They know Jesus can do whatever he wants to do to them. They know that they're no match for Jesus. And this is when the herd of pigs is brought into the story uh, because the demons bring them into the story, right? They know that Jesus is going to cast them out. And so they they, uh, they know that Jesus is going to free this man, so they beg to be asked to be sent into the herd of pigs. Now, there's a lot of speculation why the pigs. If you were like me and you grew up in a church, you had the flannel grass and you had the pigs going down the hill, you know, into the water, you know, that sort of thing. And so why the pigs? Why are the demons asking to go into the pigs? I think the obvious answer is that they want to destroy good bacon. Man, it's just... <laughs> if you're a bacon lover, you see that, you get a little tear in your eye. 2,000 carriers of this precious thing, and it's just... No, in all seriousness, I'm not exactly sure why the demons want to be sent to the pigs, except maybe that since demons know the authority to, that Jesus has authority to do whatever they want. And we know that demons are here primarily to create chaos and animosity for the things of God. Maybe this is one final effort that they're making to destroy and create animosity towards Jesus and his ministry. It can be easy to become distracted with the pigs, but please don't miss the main thing that we learn here about Jesus. So you ready? Number one, Jesus is always available for those in need, but number two, here you go. Jesus is more powerful than any possible need. Jesus is more powerful than any possible need. Friends, listen, there is nothing, there is nothing that you have done or there's nothing that's been done to you that Jesus is not more powerful than. There's no power, there's no person, there's no situation there is nothing that has the ability to control you if you run to Jesus and bow before him that's what this man does he bows before the one who has the power to help now look not long after this account the enemy of god is going to throw everything that he has at jesus he's going to convince one of jesus closest followers to betray him he's going to lead a a mass revolt of people who 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 hate Jesus to the point that they're going to treat him like the worst of criminals. And they're going to hang them on the cross and kill him like the worst. And in that moment, friends, the enemy of God thinks that he can win by killing Jesus. But the irony is, is that when Jesus is placed upon the cross and the enemy of God thinks that he has won, he has missed the larger picture, the big picture of how Jesus has shed blood is crucial to God's larger story for covering the sins of humanity. And then when Jesus is taken off the cross, you know what happens, right? He's laid in a tomb. Listen, the real healing of this man who lived in the tombs is only possible because Jesus was laid in a tomb and didn't stay there. Like the power of the resurrection is real. And we miss it. And we just gloss over it. The power of the resurrection is for us and now stands here today with the power to change you. So, so, so like whatever bondage of sin that you feel, Jesus has the power to release you from its grip. Whatever whatever hurt that you may feel from something that someone has done to you, the forgiveness that Jesus has given to you enables you to forgive them. Whatever, uh, Whatever loneliness that you are experiencing right now, Jesus steps in and says, listen, I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you. Whatever feelings that you have today of like, I'm not being good enough and I'm just trying more and more and more and more. Jesus extends grace and forgiveness and says, I wanna release you from the efforts of your self-righteousness. Um, Glenn mentioned, I pastored for about 18 years before joining ABWE and the Every ethnic team. My kids, I have three kids. My oldest is 23, and then a 21 and an 18-year-old girl who's, my boys called her the queen for a long time because they thought that she got everything, and uh, she probably did. I don't know. My kids have heard me preach more than anyone. I mean, not just at home, but like at church, like they're there every time that I'm there. And so they've heard me preach more than anyone. Um, One day I came into my son's room when he was like 16, 17, something like that. And he had taken something that I had said in a sermon, written it on a card and had it taped to the back of his bed. And I'm like, Jesus, come back now. Like it ain't going to get any better than this, right? Like your (laughs) 17 year old son has taken something that you said in a sermon and put it on his bed. With a little like dash, Thad Bergmeyer, you know, as like as a quote. Man, do you want to know what he wrote down? Here's what he wrote down. No matter how many stupid things you've done in your life, you are never outside the reach of God's grace. I gotta tell you, man, I believe that more today. Amen and amen and amen. course as a father I'm like well hold on what stupid things have you done right like don't you want to know the moment don't miss the point there's nothing that you've done that's outside the reach of the grace of Jesus he is available and he's powerful enough to change you all it needs to happen is to run to him and fall at his feet like this man it's faith in Jesus alone giving yourself to him Jesus changed the man in remarkable ways look what happens next verse 14 says the herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And when they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their Region. Stop there. The herdsmen run into town and tell everyone hey, you'll never guess what happened here. People of town come out and see the man sitting with Jesus, clothed, and in his right mind. They came to witness something that they hadn't witnessed before. This is the most important part of the story, okay? This is the most important part of the story. The demons are gone, and with the power of his word, Jesus takes care of his issue. And do not miss that in Jesus changing this man and healing this man, he shows the value of human life. What do I mean? Well, uh, which is more important, this man or 2,000 pigs? Let's not forget this man was stripped of his dignity. He was living in a graveyard. He was cast out, chained up like a prisoner. The people hated him. He would break it. He used stones to cut himself. He was naked. He was avoided. He didn't feel value. But in this miracle, Jesus shows up and says, you know what? You, one person that I don't even know, have more value than the livelihood of of an entire community. What do I mean? Well, verse 15 says that they're afraid. Verse 17 says that they began to beg Jesus to leave the region. I think they didn't want Jesus around for maybe one of two reasons. First, I think they're angry at the loss of the pigs. This is an agrarian society and culture. Losing 2,000 pigs could economically cripple their town. Unlike Jesus who valued the manner of the pigs, I think that these townspeople preferred their swine than the changed life of this man. And it's easy for us to look at them and kind of of just cast them out and go, well, that's terrible. I can't believe that they would do that. And then we turn it inward and said, well, what things are we holding with open hands saying, God, you can have any of it to use it for your kingdom. Or we hold on to things. I believe the people of town wanted Jesus to leave because of the loss of the pigs. But honestly, I think more so, they're scared of his power. Think about it. This man is uncontrollable. He has the power that people had never seen. And in one day, this new man, Jesus shows up and with the power of his words, subdues the man that they could never control. In verse 15, it says that they saw the man sitting clothed in his right mind and they were afraid. Why? Whatever power is greater than crazy Joe. I don't wanna be around that. Being in the presence of greatness is scary. Truly is an amazing story. Jesus is available for uh, for a man in need and has the power to change him. And now everything is different. What do you suppose the man wants to do at this point? Okay. Who does the man want to be around? Look at verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, so this is Jesus, because the people were begging him to depart, verse 17. Verse 17. As he was getting in the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Of course, this is like good gospel truth. Jesus changes you and I follow him, right? I can just picture the scenario. People come, they're begging Jesus to leave. Jesus walks back down the the hill there, gets in his boat, and the man's following him. He's got like one leg over the boat. He's like, hey, I'm coming with you guys. Like, these people don't like me. Like, I'm coming with you, right? this isn't Jesus' plan. Listen closely. There is something else that we learn about Jesus. He's available to those in need. He's more powerful than any need you have. And now number three, are you ready? Jesus sends changed people to those still in need. Jesus sends changed people to those still in need. Don't miss this. Following Jesus for this man was not getting in the boat but taking the message of his transformation to those in still of need look at verse 19 and he did not permit him but said to him go home to your friends and tell them how much the lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you verse 20 and he went away and began to proclaim in the decapolis how much jesus had done for him and everyone Marveled. Why does Jesus send the man back? You ready for this? Because Jesus isn't done with that town. He's not done with that place, that community. Jesus wants to change more people in that community, and the way that He's going to do it is through the one that He's already changed. Note that Jesus is still in the business of changing people's lives. We said at the beginning, Jesus changes people. Amen? Amen? And He uses His people as links in the chain to see others changed. There's a great little book that I read recently called Gospel Patrons. It's a fabulous read. I'd encourage you and your church, maybe your missions team to read it. It's a book on the people that supported the people. <laughs> like who supported George Whitfield. The people who were behind the scenes. In the book, he says this. It's a little bit of a quote, so hang with me. It says, the world is waiting our God is calling and the testimony of history's greatest men is consistent. King Solomon said, he who wins souls is wise. The prophet Daniel said, those who turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. The Lord Jesus said, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. The apostle Paul said, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. George Whitfield said, my one design is to bring poor souls to Jesus Christ. John Newton said, to be useful to one soul is of more importance than the temporary prosperity of a whole nation. Charles Spurgeon said, our greatest object of glorifying God is to be mainly achieved by the winning of souls. We must see souls born into God. C.S. Lewis said, the glory of God and as our only means of glorifying him, the salvation of human souls is the real business of life. And then they, here's the crescendo. Are you ready? God uses people to save people. Will you join him? Will you give your life to spreading the gospel? It was great to be with the men that were uh, this weekend on Friday and Saturday. Um... The men's retreat, as we kind of walk through the My Circle training, it's an operating system of missional living. I hope it's helpful for them and, and, and motivating for them to actually live on mission. Let me just give you, like, like how can you do it? Let me just give you a, maybe a five-minute summary of what we took, I don't know, five, six hours to, to do this, uh, this weekend. And by the way, if you're a man sitting here going, well, I would have preferred to have the five-minute summary. Right. No, you wouldn't. How do you do it? How do you live on mission? Well, let me just give you quick things. Are you ready? One, embrace the mission. Embrace the reality that Christ has called you to be on the mission that he has. He has given you an assignment, Christian. This isn't an option. It's not an option. You are his ambassadors. You are his witnesses. If you're a follower of Jesus, the great commandment I'm sorry, the Great Commission is for you. Embrace it. Number two, identify your circle of influence. Who has God brought into your life in whatever realm where you live, learn, work, or play that doesn't know Christ? Write their names down. Something happens actually when you actually write their names down. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a, uh, 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 someone on a sports team. Maybe it's a coach of your kid's team. I don't know, but just be really curious about the providence of God that he has brought people to be around you, that he is working in their lives and he wants you to be a part of the process. Number three, pray daily. Make a commitment to pray every single day for one unbeliever. I mean, I look around this room. What if every Christ follower in this room said, I'm going to pray for an unbeliever every single day in my life? What would God do? Pray for their standing before God. Pray that that God would open doors. Pray that God would give you boldness to step through doors. Pray that ultimately that God would save them. Fourth, um, engage practically. So every single week, you're going to say, I want to spend intentional time with those that I'm praying for. Maybe it's just one person, just one person a week. I want to have an intentional lunch with them. And I just want to get to know them. I want to ask them questions about their life. I want to, I want to be a friend to them. I often think sometimes as Christians, we don't know how to be friends to, to non-Christians. And we're scared, and just honestly, like sometimes in the Christians that I, I get to spend t- time with in, ch- in churches, we're, it's hard to step across that line to be friends with people who are unsaved because it's almost like we're scared of catching the disease. Unbeknownst to us, that it's pretty alive inside of us. Don't be scared to step in and engage unbelievers. And lastly, fifthly, share Share your grace story. Share the gospel. Talk about Jesus one time a month. Pray daily. Engage weekly. Share monthly. If you talk about Jesus, make a commitment to tell them what Christ has done for you. Who, Who has the Lord sent you back to? Like this man. You know, this isn't the only example we see. I don't know if you remember the woman at the well. Jesus comes and says, hey, I'm the Messiah. She runs back to town, tells everyone, come, come meet this guy. We see uh, um, Andrew bringing his brother to Christ. We see it all throughout the Gospels. Now, you may ask, well, how did it work out for this man? We're told in verse 20, do you see it there? That he went away and began to proclaim the Decapolis, uh, in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Um, it's one thing to marvel. It's another thing to believe in Jesus, isn't it? So how do we know what happened? Well, maybe not for certain, but we do kind of get a clue in Mark's gospel that something changed. Do you notice in verse 20, where did he proclaim? It's called the Decapolis. It's an area, a region of the area. Now, flip over your Bibles two chapters to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, at the end, chapter verse 31, so Jesus leaves the region. And then we don't know how much time here it was, but sometime later, verse 31 of Mark 7, it says, then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. Oh, Jesus is back in the same area that they just Kicked him out of. And what happens? Verse 32 They brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. Jesus heals the man. Verse 36 Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all these things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Chapter eight, in those days, a lot of people think it's in the same context now that we have the feeding of the 4,000. What's the point here? You ready? Um, what changed in an entire region that was begging people Jesus to leave to now they're begging him to stay? there's only one real plausible explanation in my mind. It's the impact of one changed life. One guy who Jesus changed, who said, I'm going to obey you, Jesus, and I'm going to do what you told me to do in verse, uh, verse 19. And I'm going to go back to my friends and tell them how the Lord has had mercy on me. The impact of one, it only takes one to light a city on fire. It only takes one to change the landscape of Clark Summit and this area. It only takes one with hands open to be used by Lord to make a dent in the darkness of your community. Who is that one here? How many ones could there be here? How many of you desire to be that? Jesus changes your life so that you will share that change with others. Friends, he has sent us all to be on the mission. J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite dead preachers. He said this, he says, all are not called to be ministers. All are not intended to preach, but all can walk in the steps of the man of whom we've been reading. Happy is he who is not ashamed to say to others, come and hear what the Lord has done for my soul. Amen. Amen? Let me pray. Father, we just, uh, we ask you to do a work in this church. We ask you to, uh, to, to First off, to change people, continuing to change people. Maybe there's some people that stepped in here today that have never been changed by Jesus. And Lord, I just pray that your spirit will be moving in their hearts right now and that they'd reach out to maybe who invited them or come talk to someone. Lord, um, or have them just cry out to you today. Change their life. And Lord, for others who are... Um, Lord, that you are sending them back to their friends, to their family, to their co-workers, to their neighbors, to their teammates. Lord, I pray that they'd live a changed life and that they would be eager to tell others, man, come and hear what the Lord has done for my soul. Lord, all to your glory. And really, Lord, for the good of the people here, we pray this. Amen.